Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to the latest episode of Strange in the Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson here once again, uh, surprise surprise, with co-host Pete Wall. Pete, how are you this week? I'm pretty good man. Uh, I just got back in time for this hastily uh, convened podcast after going to stand-up comedy this evening. So uh, I had a lovely old time. The headliner for tonight was John Robbins. Do you know John Robbins? No, I don't. He, he, he's the ex-lover of Sarah Pascoe, the right, stand-up okay. comedian. Uh, and they both got, I think, Edinburgh shows out of their breakup. And um, yeah, my, my review of the show is this. I, over the time since I booked the ticket, became less and less convinced that I was a John Robbins fan. But we got <laughs> we got front second row, uh, sort of dead centre. So I thought, like, I'm going to see this, this thing through. And um, it was good. It was sort of six or seven out of ten good. Although what I did think was better than that score is uh, a guy that I've pulled up on my phone. Robin Allender was the support act. Apparently a guy who went to school with John Robbins, who used to play in a band that he's from Bristol. They've toured all around uh, in Europe and stuff 10 years ago. Now he's moved back in with his mum. He seems thoroughly depressed, very relatable to me. And, uh, and just did like a load of brilliant stuff on like um, authors that I know. Well, uh, Jeff Dyer specifically, okay. Tarkovsky, uh, Bathos, <laughs> right. and things that were just like, wow, this is one of my guys. So uh, I tweeted at him afterwards to thank him for the show, and hopefully I'll get the chance to see him again. So my takeaway is the support act is, is one of my guys. I don't know if John Robbins is, but uh, it was a good night out. How about you, man? What have you done up until? Because we're recording like crazy late. We're starting like 11pm. Yeah, we're PM starting at 11pm because basically what I've done this week is just fuck you around all week. So uh, so a thousand apologies. I'm like, oh, maybe we'll do it tonight. Oh no, I missed my train back and then oh, I'm doing this and then I've done this and I've done that. So it's good to be here with you, Pete. I'll be honest. And uh, I would like to publicly thank Pete for his patience with me this week. Um, well, well, so, part, I know, yeah. well, I know part of your delay on recording the episode was film related because yes. you had the uh, reconvening with the people from Exit 6. Yes. Uh, just what was that? Yesterday? Day, right? Yeah, so and that, that was, was last night. Yeah, so yeah. that was the um, yeah, that was another meeting with with the film festival that I work for. Um, a kind of a post mortem this time about how we think the film festival went, um, which was interesting. Uh, it was it was a good meeting. Again, it's 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 great to be working on it, and uh, it looks like I might be working on it again next year. So I don't think I did too bad a job, shall we say? Which is nice. So yeah, um, yeah. anytime yeah. anytime you don't get straight fired from something yeah. the first <laughs> yeah, time round, yeah. you've win. done all right. Is a win in my book. Uh, also, uh, this week, I have signed up potentially to produce my second short film, which is very exciting. Uh, so I'm going to be producing a VR short, which is uh, going to be a big step up um, in terms of me needing to know what I'm talking about pretty bloody quickly. Uh, so yeah, it's working with a new team of people based in Bristol, um, and I've got my first proper meeting about that on Saturday, so that's very exciting. Um, what, what yeah. is it like to be working with Pornhub? <laughs> No, I joke. Like, genuinely, that sounds really interesting. When, when you said, like, I've got another short in the pipeline, like, that in and of itself is, is an exciting thing. But then you were like, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually a VR short film. And so, yeah, new new horizons, bold new horizons. So we'll look forward to talking about it yeah, more. No. Well, both... Yeah on and off mic I guess yeah no for sure but it's going to be it's going to be a big step up compared to what I've previously produced well the film I've produced is currently in post-production so uh, awaiting time for people to edit it this is the thing I've learned is when people are doing things in their own time uh, patience is key but there's no deadline to get it finished so it's all good so uh, right yeah 
I tell you what, I tell you what, Paul Anderson, people are doing listening to this in their own time, so let's give them some juicy film news, because that's what we do. Yes. We always do that in the first section of the show. It's called In the Foyer. We gather, and we mutter some stuff to each other, and we just sort of record it, you know, make it into MP3, and then throw it out there for you guys. So... What we want to talk about this week, a few things. First of all, a little bit niche. We've got news on uh, Josephine Decker. Josephine Decker is the female director, as you would have guessed from her first name, of uh, Madeline's Madeline, which is a indie, weird uh, little film about the inner psyche of a girl uh, sort of struggling to come out of herself uh, that released this year, at least in the UK, I believe. And um, I like quite a bit. You've seen that too, right, Paul? Do you know what? You mentioned this earlier, and I was just like, I'm not sure I've seen that film. And actually, I have seen Madeline's Madeline, and yeah, it had a lot of potential. So yeah, and it's it's now all come flooding back to me. The more times you said the word Madeline, uh, I've just started yeah. to remember. Uh, yeah, no, I liked it. There was yes, because it had an incredible central performance from that the lead the leading lady, whose name completely mm. escapes me. Uh, but yeah, she was brilliant. No, I like Madeline's Madeline a lot. So yeah, totally on board with what Josephine Decker does next. And, and certainly one of the uh, top of a top five if we did uh, films involving the POV of a cat yes. for this year. Yeah. So uh, that's to recommend it for sure. So this new one is called The Sky Is Everywhere and it's based on uh, a YA novel from an author called Jandy Nelson. Um, it's a best-selling YA novel. I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't have read this article through the rap because <laughs> I'm not a big YA reader, if I'm completely honest. But Probably the wrong age group as well, to be fair. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I, I would suppose, yeah. Uh, this one's going to be a, a co-endeavour from both Apple and A24. Now, on the one side, you've got A24, which is, I think, a, a company that we sort of look to quite often for great output in terms of indie film and, and sort of small to middle-sized movie releases. And then you've got the behemoth that is Apple that seems to be pumping money into the industry at the moment in its various uh, endeavours. So, again, it's another one like we had that Alfonso Cuaron news a week or two ago with his deal with Apple, his production company deal with Apple, where you kind of hope for the best. You know, you kind of cross your fingers and hope that someone as talented as Joseph Indecker gets the platform that she deserves without having to compromise on her vision. Because let's be honest, Madeline's Madeline was a pretty uh, out there yeah. <laughs> uh, approach to filmmaking, you know, yeah. and something that wasn't like anything else, I think, that we saw this year. No, and in fairness, it wasn't always entirely successful, but it was a damn sight more interesting than a lot of the films I've watched. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, more on that in due course, but I think it's an interesting one for this week. On top of that, um, jumping to something that will be a lot more uh, well-known and sort of resonate with a lot of people, I guess, who are fans of this studio. Uh, there's an article this week on Slash Film about the fact that Studio Ghibli's work is unlikely to crop up on any streaming service in the near or even medium-term future. Uh, people were expecting maybe that there'd be a rollout through Disney+, Plus, some kind of deal that would allow that platform to have Ghibli content. It noticeably was so absent. why then? I'm intrigued, to be honest. The thought's never so, crossed my mind, actually, that they are... But now, now you've mentioned it, they are conspicuous by their absence, for sure. Yeah, so the, the long and short of it from this article seems to be, if I was to boil it down, that Hayao Miyazaki, the, the sort of genius behind Studio Ghibli, uh, doesn't really believe in digital streaming of their work. Okay. So his opinion is that he likes the presentation of the films when they can be presented in physical form, first of all, right. but even more than that, when he can have the like an audience experience these films together yeah. as a collective. So this is why I think Studio Ghibli 
both in Japan and abroad, go for, you know, screening things, having seasons of things, bringing those beloved films back to the screen to show them in various venues, rather than pumping them out onto streaming services. And then, of course, you've got the beautifully presented box sets, Blu-rays, DVDs and so on, where you can get your hands on them to watch at home as well. So I think it's a combination of those two things above all, really. And I mean, how do you feel about that? Is that you know, do, do you like that they stick to their guns, Paul, or do you think that actually they're cutting their nose to spite their face on this thing? It means that my um, lavish, beautifully presented Studio Ghibli Blu-ray box sets will continue to retain value, so I'm all for this, Pete. <laughs> Absolutely. Get right behind this. Right. Get on the phone to uh, Miyazaki. But no, no, all, all joking apart, like... I kind of get where he's coming from. Like sometimes it is like there's it's kind of there's a whole thing about do you kind of do you watch it's like there's a whole kind of for me it's a bit like listening to vinyl where you just go okay like this 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 and I can I can kind of see where Miyazaki's coming from here. It's like you go and get the Blu-ray, you look at the box, you put it in, and I think maybe he's kind of focused on the more physical aspect of of putting a film on. You go out and buy the film, and then you have the lavish box set because even the standard blu-rays are just lavishly presented the artwork's always fantastic in them and they do release these incredible box sets as so i've got so i've got the miyazaki collection uh on a blu-ray which i imported in for too much money that i'm not prepared to announce how much i spent on it but i've got this incredible my neighbor totoro box set so every time but every time i go and put on my neighbor totoro i have this lavish box that i have to open up it's got a, a totoro tote bag in it which is incredible uh, which my wife loves but yeah there's there's something about the occasion of going right i'll break out the studio ghibli box set there's something quite nice to that it feels a bit more of an occasion it might sound a bit a bit sad but i don't really care so i, I can see it from both sides to be honest i can kind of see where he's coming from and ultimately he doesn't care because he is there's a miyazaki story that kind of this this kind of this kind of reminds me of is when miramax agreed to release uh, spirited away in the u.s um he sent harvey weinstein a samurai sword with a note on it that just said no cuts so yeah he's a he's an uncompromising man so i don't think we'll change his mind (laughs) like for sure yeah i think i think that also in turn was a result of uh was it norsica maybe the first film that was put out through weinstein where uh harvey weinstein insisted on cutting like 20 minutes of the movie and he was i didn't realize that had been cut first okay um so i've just thought of a new story actually that i want to just tie on to the end of this one um, in sort of loose relation to Studio Ghibli which is that um, I noticed this last week and I think it's been the case for maybe a couple of weeks that there's a new situation involving Film 4 so Film 4 used to be a subscription service then it became free on Freeview and various packages and now even better All 4 which is your um, app your your streaming Mm. service of of all Channel 4 content has a dedicated section for Film 4 What this means is that Film 4 has got its own small streaming service that at present is showing about 15 movies that are curated and categorised. So you've got the stuff that's showing on the channel this week, but then you've got a few other select picks, one of which I'm going to review in Popcorn Movies. But it just seems like a really great development because there, I think, Film 4 are both a a distributor and a curator of content who do a really good job for people who maybe can't afford to splash money on, you know, whether it's Blu-rays or going to the cinema or or whatnot. And they're also a platform that have given a lot of airtime to Studio Ghibli's work. And that's Mm. the the reason why I connected together. So, yeah, you're not going to be able to download or stream uh, generally your Studio Ghibli films, but there's a possibility that that may be be flexible when it comes to a thing like all four with film four 
No, that's intriguing because I, those for me, film four, the quality. I mean, a, a kind of part of me liked the fact it went free. Part of me didn't because the quality kind of fo- fell off a cliff a little bit. Although there was, all, there was there was always some gems on there. Don't get me wrong; they always showed good stuff. But like when suddenly you're just like, what the fuck is Resident Evil three doing on film four? So it kind of might, if it brings it back to a more created, created kind of like movie situation, I guess. Uh, then I'm all for it no pun intended <laughs> love it love it yeah and i mean the the good thing is that what i've been in the habit of doing over the last couple of years is sort of looking a week ahead when i remember to do this and setting all the things on film four that i think might be worth watching that's later. a good shout yeah yeah filling up my tivo yeah. much to my uh, wife's dismay with like 90 percent movies from film four right. uh, and then having to go through and delete them all when i don't watch them or have watched them later on this makes that a bit less necessary because you can just go to the app or mm. the you know your browser on your tv or whatever and find it there so that's great uh, last bit from me on this end is that um, indiewire ran a story this week to say that oh my goodness clutch your pearls netflix quarter three predicted subscriber uptake is below what was uh, predicted by the streaming giant uh, i don't think this is really any cause for panic we covered it about three four weeks ago maybe and seems to be an almost entirely direct result of the fact that they've hiked the price to $12.99 in the US. And I believe there's been a price rise here not long ago, hasn't there? It has, yeah. I think it's about £11 a month here now, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think they need to be a little bit wary because because with every other streaming service that's coming online, um, there is a lot more competition for them. Um, ultimately, yeah, at some, at some point, a business can't exponentially grow. So I would say, and again, there, there will be articles going, is this the end of Netflix? Was Disney Plus's launch and this kind of thing? I don't think it is, but I I think they need to be a little bit wary about continually hiking the price when you've got other streaming services that are going to launch for a lot less money. Yeah, th- this is kind of the uh, sub that the headline writers at, at IndieWire have gone for, which is that both Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus uh, launch subscription price is lower than the US price yeah, for Netflix will, the now. the launch price will be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that obviously those prices will in turn be hiked in the future. But like you say, Netflix now is in, uh, I guess, a more competitive market than ever before. Uh, it's kind of had the run of the thing yeah. up until now, but it seems like people are having to make some quite difficult choices and that's going to have to lead Netflix to making prudent choices, not to save their bacon because obviously they're going to be fine, but to keep themselves in the position that they've become accustomed to over time. Yeah, and I think the, the, the problem that all these, the fact that every Everyone, everyone is now launching their own individual streaming services. I think the problem you'll find is it will just, for me, it's just going to record. It's just going to just going to be the cause of a resurgence of piracy, like <laughs> because not everyone can afford to have all of these streaming services, and there'll be one there'll be one incredible film or one good show about once every six months on the service, and then people are going to pirate it rather than pay the money for it. So I'm I'm wary about. I just hope this doesn't. I hope this doesn't start the 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 kind of the death knell of streaming services. I still think there's a need for something like Tidal or Spotify for films and TV shows where everything, mostly everything, is in one place. Yeah, and I mean, it might sound like a strange thing to say, but I almost feel like uh, there's a certain level of market forces to the fact that you're getting 
now, you know, most people are getting hammered with adverts for uh, ExpressVPN and NordVPN yeah. in particular, and other VPN services, of course, are available, but they seem to be the ones that are really being pushed and have the biggest uptake. But it feels to me like, although on this show, obviously, we can't come out here and endorse piracy, but at the same time, that is not disconnected from these price rises, no. the fracturing of the market, and the inability of normal people to access a lot of the stuff that actually maybe was less plentiful, but was sort of more accessible. Um, in the past, yeah, no, in terms agree. of I mean, it, what, pe- go on, sorry, sorry, I was just going to say uh, to finish in, in terms of like what your mates and stuff are talking about. In the past, that would be funneled through your kind of terrestrial TV or yeah. your sort of more simple cable packages, maybe when we were growing up, and now it could be across as many as half a dozen different popular platforms, yeah, which, which would cost you tough. I think to I read with. somewhere. I think it's, it might have been the Independent did an article. So if you bought every streaming service that's going to launch in the UK next year, it would cost you fourteen hundred pounds a year, which is just yeah, insane. And then not small change. Yeah. Insane. Paul, Paul uh, talking about uh, things that are insane, uh, this time in a very positive way, I think you've got one more story. Yes, I have. I'm so excited. Um, so excited. There's been some more casting announcements for the Matt Reeves Batman film. And as much as I will say, I really need to reassess his two Planet of the Apes films because everyone bar me thinks they're incredible. So maybe I need to look at them again. Uh, so this is the Matt Reeves directed uh, Batman project. It was already confirmed Robert Pattinson as Batman, which for me is great. I think is incredible casting choice. Uh, this week we've had some more. We've had some more casting uh, casting announcements. So we've got Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. I think that's a great call. Yeah, I think that's a great call. Potentially Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon. Jeffrey Wright, I, for me, is a very underrated character actor who I like a lot. And Pete, are you ready for this? Because Paul Dano has just been confirmed a, a few hours ago, I think, from when we're recording, as the Riddler. Now that genuinely, I think, could be casting to rival Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker, which is something enough we talked about last week. Paul Dano is absolutely one of my favourite actors working today. He's incredible. He should be more famous than he is. Um, and I, yeah, I'm very, and now I've got I've gone from moderately excited about the the bat the Batman as the film's going to be called to incredibly excited with Paul Dano as the villain. I, yeah, it's, it's uh, this is <laughs> this is sort of the new normal as well as we discussed I think previously on the uh, the bat the joker episode last last week is that you know the guy who who previously worked so famously with pt anderson yeah. is now working <laughs> yes, on yeah. you know quote unquote one of those comic book movies so uh yeah I, i'm really excited for that too and i think paul dano is one of those guys who's like gonna do proper stuff with this i don't necessarily think it's gonna be all uh horribly self-serious but i think he's not going to sign up to a project like this unless he felt that he could really bring something to it so um yeah, yeah absolutely I, yeah. i'm in for that and, and yeah he's very say, picky um, he's very picky about what he does to be there so yeah and the zoe kravitz casting brilliant i i just saw um uh, the batwoman um first episode or pilot episode which is very campy and very silly and is obviously a tv incarnation of that character but ruby rose is great in that role uh, and clearly having a lot of fun and sort of breaking down certain taboos in terms of the depiction of superhero characters on screen in being sort of an openly uh, gay character and, and so on and, and just being like ballsy as hell so <laughs> I, I would say check that out too and look forward to this do you have any idea when this is actually going to be a thing is it beginning like first quarter okay first quarter 2021 yeah, yeah. maybe yes or something yeah i think Could yeah it'll be somewhere. kind of the the big i would imagine probably the tent pole because blockbuster season now seems to start in may and end in now well We've got Terminator yet this year to come, so blockbuster season seems to be 
longer and longer and longer. So I would say, yeah, early 2021, I think, is when this is coming. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm with the cast in announced. I'm I'm very excited. I'll be honest. Well, Paul, I'm very excited about getting into our next section of the show because about this time every week, what we do is we take a little break and then we come back with a section that we call Popcorn Movies, where Paul and I review films that we've seen in the last seven days and try and give you a reason to avoid them or watch them. And that will be coming up right after this. So... Popcorn movies. Um, I'm going to jump straight in, Pete. So this is a film I think we talked about on uh, Coming Attractions, I think, a couple of weeks ago. This is the, um, weirdly enough, uh, latest next, one of one of the most recent uh, Netflix-exclusive films. Um, this is In the Tall Grass, directed by Vincenzo Natale, who I believe made Cube way back when, unless I'm very yeah. much mistaken. Um, this is an adaptation of a Stephen King. Um, and there's another co-writer who's name is completely passed me by which is remiss of me um stephen king based novella short story basically it's about um a a couple pull over in a car um they hear some they hear some voices coming out of fields of tall grass or or very tall wheat uh and they make the mistake of walking into the tall grass um and then things get batshit crazy as you would imagine from a stephen king from stephen king source material um I remember categorically saying when we talked about this in Coming Attractions, I was just like, I think this might be an, an enjoyable enough three star Netflix film. Um, yep. <laughs> like, that, yeah, that. Yeah, just pretty much that. Like, it's it's one of those films, it, it starts very, very well, and I'll give it a lot of credit for the fact that I would say within what felt like six to eight minutes of running time, the characters are immediately in the tall grass. So I give it a lot of credit for that. It doesn't it doesn't mess around. It gets exactly where it needs to be quite quickly. Um, and the premise, I think it's well handled. It looks great, as you could imagine, as you can imagine from this director, because Cube, you know, he did such good work on very little budget. And I really want to rewatch Cube again now because literally it's been a number of years since I've seen that. It looks great. I think that the performances are, are decent enough. I think they could have possibly got a better villain than Patrick Wilson in this because he's a touch flat um but there's there's a lot to like I'd say probably for the first for the first hour and then it just for me got a little bit too silly for its own good in places and kind of kind of undid its undid itself um quite rapidly by degenerating into absolute nonsense that being said it is mostly atmospheric nonsense um and there are worse horror films you could watch on Netflix, in all honesty. So yeah, I would say it's a it's it's, it's a recommend. It's a recommend. It's it's good. There's 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 a lot worse things. There's a lot worse things you could do if you're in the market for a, a new horror film you haven't seen. Yeah, and on the poster, man, a pretty decent three star Netflix thriller, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the quote <laughs> yeah, from Paul Anderson, yeah. I reckon, yeah. to sum yeah. it up for sure, for sure. Um, I- Paul, I would desperately like to tell you that the next film I'm going to review isn't a pretty average (laughs) three-star film, but I might have to disappoint by saying that maybe it is. Uh, The first film for Popcorn Movies this week from me is the latest from Christopher Morris, uh, The Day Shall Come. This is one that... You're breaking my heart. I haven't seen this yet. Yeah, we... 
we were going to feature review this and it's just schedules have not allowed for that and i know that we'll talk about it again later once you've managed to catch up with it too paul but like uh yeah i came in as you did or as you will do uh into this one with really high hopes because chris morris has got this great legacy of all this amazing british comedy from brass eye and blue jam and the day-to-day and all that stuff uh and then we obviously we had the feature film what nine years back uh four lions which felt like a film that only someone like chris morris could make because he's managed to walk a line in that film uh between really seeming to be in poor taste uh because of the fact that he was dealing with uh terrorist suspects and terrorist plotting at a time where that was even more of a hot button issue maybe than it is today um and bringing comedy to that forum seemed like yeah kind of a fool's errand and something that you should avoid at all costs and he managed to pull it off and it was really funny and it was really grounded and it was really sort of human and and made in the best possible way, which is a very difficult sentence to complete, the best possible way it made sort of uh, terrorists relatable, um, <laughs> and I think that's that's a, a rather a towering achievement. And then you come to this thing, and you think, where's he going to go next from here? All this time later, all this time to gestate on new stuff, and what we get is this project that is headed up by a kind of a uh, very uh, scenery chewy performance from a- Anna Kendrick um, as a member of the CIA, I believe. FBI, CIA, they're interchangeable for me as a British man. Uh, <laughs> but th- basically, she and her team are trying to scour the globe for possible sort of um, uh, groups, individuals who are in some way politically active and can be sort of... Uh, manipulated towards self-incriminating themselves as terror suspects See, so we're in the kind premise of sounds incredible i'll be honest like it's just bizarre yeah i mean i can't go on and on about this because we've got to get on with the show but like the the thing that morris chooses to put on the screen at the beginning of this film is based on a hundred true stories and in interview he said that this doesn't mean literally a hundred stories it just means there are so many stories that are like this that this is a sort of amalgam of some of them and then with like you know some bits added for comic effect and stuff like that uh the cast uh, anna kendrick i i don't know fit here but the cast a lot of them i think are committed to this material and are pretty good um the problem that we have I feel is that for someone who is so incisive and so intelligent this felt weirdly ineffectual it felt weirdly late it felt a few years past its sell-by date in terms of actually hitting the nerve that it maybe was going for uh there aren't enough laughs paul as well to like i'm not gonna get all highfalutin about it it's just not that funny right and like from christopher morris that's really a a damning indictment of, he, of the work, uh, I think. It's peak. He is one of my. He's one of the funniest people around. Full stop. In terms of his previous work, like yeah, it it just kind of ends up though feeling kind of contrived. I mean, obviously the situation is contrived, and the very premise is about contriving situations. But it it feels contrived comedically. This movie, I, I think, and yeah, like I say, the sort of joke count is high, and the joke count that lands is pretty low, at least for me. Um, yeah, and then it just sort of it also just sort of finishes. Like there's a, a particular standoff thing that happens and you think, okay, now we're going to roll into the next section of the film and he's really going to open out on some of these themes. And then the film ends. And it felt to me more like it was ripe for being a sort of mini series mm. or something like that um, that could be fleshed out a little bit more. It's, it was a real disappointment, man. Like 
it's a three-star film. A three-star film is a good film. It is, in some ways, a good film. Yeah. But coming from Chris Morris, a good film is absolute devastating. Like, <laughs> yeah, devastating it's not good enough. Yeah, yeah. It's devastating. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll talk about it with you more when, once you've seen it as well. But that one for me is The Day Shall Come. It's still in the cinemas now on limited run, so get to it and get your own opinions. You know. Uh, yeah, I will definitely I hope we'll have seen it by the week is out, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, it's oh, a shame. It's a shame. But the, you're oh, not the I, only one. You're I, not the only ones who have said that. To be fair, you seem to echo a lot of what I've read on it. So yeah, I, I would just give a shout out to Jim Gaffigan, the stand-up comedian who mostly does material about eating food. Here as <laughs> a, a, a far-right like plant neo-Nazi guy, uh, which is is wonderful casting. But um, yeah, not not all of this works by a, a long shot. What's second for you this week? Uh, second for me this week is uh, they live. Um, I rewatched They Live for the first time in a while. This is the 1998 uh, cult classic. Yeah, yeah, but directed by John Carpenter. Um, if anyone doesn't know the premise of this film, then um, obey, consume, and sleep. Um, yeah. So the premise of this film is basically it stars um, um, the now late uh, ex WWE star Rowdy Roddy Piper um, as a man who arrives in town uh, for some work, arrives in a new city. Uh, and discovers some sunglasses um, that mean he can see uh, exactly what's going on in the city. Uh, and what's going on in the city is uh, that, in fact, we are ruled by a secret race of aliens you can only see when Rowdy Roddy Piper wears these sunglasses. So there is a resistance movement without sunglasses. And then you have some incredible imagery that I would imagine most people listening to this podcast are familiar with in some way, uh, where they look at an advert and then you have words like obey, consume, uh, come onto the screen. So he reveals, yeah, he reveals this. Uh, and Rowdy Roddy Piper is not happy with the situation, Pete, and decides to take matters into his own hands. Um, and yes, it's a very, very silly film. Don't get me wrong. Um, it isn't by a long shot John Carpenter's best film at all I think the, sometimes when it comes to cult films and I was thinking this I, I haven't quite I haven't quite put my words together for a letterbox review yet but like sometimes when it comes to cult films like I love the premise of They Live and I understand why it's a popular film and I enjoy They Live it's not John Carpenter's best work by a long stretch the premise might be fantastic it takes far too long to get going. Rowdy Roddy Piper is amusing in parts. It's also got, I think, at the time, the longest fight scene ever committed to film uh, between Rowdy Roddy Piper and Keith Davis' character, which is a lot of fun. But yes, it's got its flaws, but the concept, the high concept, outweighs the film's flaws for me, and I had a great time with They Live. I think it's probably the seventh time I've watched it, so I'm criticising it, but I still have watched it at least seven, probably eight times now, to be fair. So, yeah, it's not his best film by a long stretch, but the concept is great. And if you haven't seen it, the concept is worth the entry fee alone. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you've got a caveat that surely with, with you know, like I was just saying about Chris Morris, when Chris Morris makes a three-star yeah. film, you're devastated. But, like, you know, not the best John Carpenter film yeah. is still a really good film. Mm, you know, like, most people... <laughs> M- okay but but not the best john carpenter film is a really good film no, absolutely yeah, mo- yeah. very much most people are not john carpenter no. so yeah i know i i totally feel what you're saying yeah. and uh i i guess that what i see with they live is just this kind of thread of absolute brilliance running through a film no I, I totally in, agree with you but in I large think, parts like ridiculous but i think sometimes sometimes Sorry. especially when we, when we do this show i think you have to like the the head has to outweigh the heart at times. So objectively, the film's got its problems. Subjectively, I'd absolutely love it, but objectively, it's it's no. Yeah, I'd you say know where I'd be, from. 
be be as subjective as you like. Yeah. It's our show. We do whatever we want. Uh, I uh, I've decided the next film I watch is the best film ever made. No, it's, it's not. Really. Uh, so I was talking before on the news section in the foyer about the fact that um, Film 4 now has a little home on all four so you can access stuff that is curated by the Film 4 people. And so I did just that this week and I watched a movie, a little uh, sci-fi movie called Prospect. Have you heard of this thing, Paul? No, I have not. So I think you would be a target, a member of the target audience for this because uh, what we have is a film co-starring Jay Duplass... Um, oh, okay. And um, in a in a very important and increasingly important role in the film, uh, Pedro Pascal, who is an actor I know that you like, okay. um, alongside a performance from a young actress, I think making her film debut, uh, Sophie Thatcher is her name. This is co-directed by uh, Christopher Coldwell and Zeke Earl. And what you've got to sum this thing up is uh, a, cu- a father and daughter played by Duplass and Thatcher, who are um, what's the the word for that like mining but there's another word i'm looking for like mining for minerals on a moon of mars that's a lot of m's prospecting thank yeah. you it's in the title yeah. uh, <laughs> yes how, how did i miss yeah. it i'm literally staring I've at got that you word. back dude i've got you back <laughs> yeah so they're, they're prospecting for for precious minerals or precious uh, substances underneath the surface of the ground in uh, on a moon of, of Mars, as I say, and this in the somewhat distant future is a very dangerous endeavour because there are all kinds of people fighting over the materials, resources that are available on these places. Oh, a little bit like um, some scenes of Ad Astra from the sound of it. Yeah, 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 for yes. sure, in that wheelhouse. Now, yeah, so use Ad Astra as a counterpoint. The budget here is absolutely minuscule compared to that, that yeah. film. But what I think is so impressive about Prospect is one of those where the directors and the team here have done so much with such a limited budget in terms of creating atmosphere, a sense of place, a sense of environment, when you know that they're going to have to pull out every trick in the book so that this thing doesn't just look shonky and fake and soundstaged and so on. So I was really pretty impressed with this. Like, it's it's obviously like you know we say i feel like too much but like it's obviously going to have its problems because you have got limits to what you can do with that money when you're presenting something as grand as this but with the money that they have and with the talent that they have here i think they've done a really really good job and it was a a little uh, surprise gem for me whilst i was prospecting in the all four <laughs> library um, and actually it's a 2018 release this isn't some like distant release from from the past and finally i just say that you know mark duplass gets a lot of the pre- in terms yeah. of the Duplass brothers because he does more of the directing stuff and you know he's a bit of a bigger screen on screen name as well uh, I think Jay Duplass is potentially potentially in it, in the right film the better of the two actors okay so um, yeah it's really good and that's uh, Prospect from 2018 anything more in this section Paul uh, no I'm all good Cool. Um, I think I've got one more, but I think I'm going to save it for a later date because it might become more relevant in time. So we will leave this section behind. And when we return, we will be back with the section that we call Coming Attractions, where we preview the films that are coming out over the next few days right after this. So yeah, this is the section of the show that I I take some enjoyment from because as as usual this week, uh, Pete's done all the work and uh, he's going to throw some things at me and I'm going to give my give my feedback. 
Yeah, I mean, don't overpraise me. I've done very little work this week in terms of this section of the show, but I'm going to not say that out loud. Yeah. Um, so first of all, we have a film which is um, kind of interesting for me because uh, the town I live in is Cheltenham and this film centrally features a little place called GCHQ. This film is called Official Secrets and it is from uh, director Gavin Hood, who's oh, made... He made Totsie, which was yes, brilliant. He did, and rendition with Jake Gyllenhaal, which was all right and had a really clever shot in it. And Eye in the Sky, um, which I thought was quite good. Eye in the Sky, yeah. it very much a sort of three and a half yeah. star thriller. <laughs> yeah. Three and a half, though, Paul. Yeah, three and I a would half. Say. Yeah. A superior thriller. And unfortunately, also uh, yeah. Wolverine Origins, which was absolutely terrible. Which but, was yeah. near so good. Yeah, uh, so we've got Gavin Hood in there. Uh, some excitement from us, I guess, on that front. You've got Kira Knightley, who increasingly, maybe against her better judgment, is becoming quite a good actress. Um, you've got uh, Matthew Good here, uh, Catherine Kelly and others. The story, as far as I know, is the true story of a British whistleblower who leaked information to the press. Uh, the whistleblower, of course, is Kira Knightley in this case, uh, about an illegal NSA spy operation designed to push the UN Security Council into sanctioning the 2003 invasion of Iraq. So this goes back to the period in my life where I was um, a, what, new sort of first year-ish second year university student um i was on that protest that was a stop the war protest in london back in what to, well would have been 2003 right and so the material seems kind of close to home and close to you know the hearts of a lot of british people i would imagine and then you add into that the fact that yeah gchq is in my hometown um how do you feel paul you know you've lived in cheltenham so obviously you're well aware of the, this yeah. particular place uh interest in a film headed by kira knightley about you know the press it, and interestingly secrets. you mentioned something about the day shall come felt like it has come too late um mm. i don't know from the premise i mean i wasn't aware of this film at all to be honest until you just brought it up i don't know whether again like there the, the feels it the feels to me like as, as much as yeah like the the subject's important the iraq war was an absolute fucking sham everyone knows that now um but i don't know whether we whether this has been well covered or not do you know what i mean do i need to see another film about this subject matter like it feels like it's coming too late for me it is my initial is my initial response to it um do you think that's fair or yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Like, this should have gone out exactly when Banksy banged up that uh, audio surveillance th yeah. image in Cheltenham a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, that Stick perfect, the movie yeah. out at, at that time and capture the zeitgeist. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, kind of. Um, to me, again, it looks like about a three to three and a half star thriller. Uh, I imagine I'll enjoy it. I don't think I'll be raving about it and I don't think it'll get on I any think people are going to review the show and probably give us three or three and a half stars. To be <laughs> yeah, we should do a top five three to three and a half star thrillers at some point. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Uh, Doctor Who's in it. Um, Matt Smith as well, uh, for what it's worth, and Ray Fiennes, and some big names. It's a starry cast. It might be a bit of a, an awards-hungry cast, and it might be to the detriment of the movie, but we'll see uh, in due course. So, in addition, we have got a movie that is the sequel to a film that I only saw this last week. It is Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, starring Angelina Jolie's cheekbones. Um, and, yeah, have you seen the first film, Paul? Yes good bad for you I, i've forgotten it i forgot to be honest i'd forgotten it by the time by the time the credits rolled 
Just I would say it was about a three star, uh, three star. <laughs> it's a three star fantasy yeah, romp. Yeah. Uh, it had some gammy CGI on like Juno Temple and Imelda Staunton and those guys yeah. who were the fairies. In I it. just want to say, uh, just and, to clarify, with this, we're not. This isn't the move towards star ratings. This just seems to be a, a gag that we found funny this week. So. I, I think people get what it means, though. So I, I you know, I'm yeah, happy yeah, with yeah. It. yeah I, I mean, so okay, this time round, the sequel comes out. Uh, the first film did very well, and that's why we get this one. Uh, Angelina Jolie's back of course Elle Fanning is back she was in the first movie as well we've got that trio that I just mentioned or I mentioned a couple of them they're back Sam Riley, who was a little odd looking sort of elfin man in the first one he's back as well uh, Ed Screen is in this oh, one uh, so yeah yeah uh, who, he's the backup isn't he yeah. for Nick yeah, Holt we've seen this before, yeah. body double or whatever <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's two hours of my life that um, I probably could devote to something else that I would be more into. But looking at Angelina Jolie for a couple of hours never hurt anyone. So um, I'll probably probably see it and tell you about it in in a future episode. Lastly, this week, maybe something I'm a bit more uh, jazzed about, and that is Zombieland Double Tap, the follow-up to Zombieland from God knows seven, six years ago, it feels like. Uh, I no, it's older than that. It came out. That's... Zombieland is at least ten years old because I remember ten years. Maybe it's ten years. I, know, yeah. I bought it I for my. It's... I bought it for my wife when we were at university together as a birthday present on DVD. That's how I remember Zombieland coming out. <laughs> yeah, I reckon you're right. I reckon ago. it's like. 2009 or something yeah so uh what's the deal here uh zombieland has a sequel first off uh columbus tallahassee wichita and little rock i didn't remember they were all named after states if i'm completely honest uh move to the american heartland as they face off against evolved zombies fellow survivors and the growing pains of the snarky makeshift family lots of snark lots of comedy bits are going to be on display here this is directed by reuben fleischer who i believe directed the first one as he well, did right? yeah, yeah yeah and you've got uh coming back uh zoe deutsch was in the first one i think so it's been a long yeah. time paul as we've just established uh abigail breslin emma stone of course who is a, a memorable member of that that previous cast uh jesse eisenberg ditto uh we've got here rosario dawson uh how i do love her and uh bill murray and we've got yeah like all all manner of people jumping on board as well as the people that we knew from the the first movie luke wilson's in this one um there's a gag in the trailer where emma stone sort of does a, a sort of gurn to camera and says like what's happening I didn't even really get the joke I got a bit worried about this film when I saw the trailer to it if I'm honest that it's not going to hit like for me comedically at all although I like the first one how are you feeling about Zombieland I'll, I'll be honest with you I found Zombieland one of the most overrated films of the year that it came out I just didn't it didn't work for me I, I didn't don't get what the hype was it's it was fine it was i would say probably a, a three-star zombie horror comedy pete if i'm being honest <laughs> just full house yeah. full house of three-star yeah. movies today um, roll up roll up to your local cinema yeah and i mean yeah I, yeah and i'll be honest it just it it didn't hit me i didn't get the hype like it was fine i think there was like but comparatively to something like other zombie comedies like Shaun of the Dead or, or just just basically anything I just I, I found it I found it overrated so and I'll be honest with you the trailer for this looks terrible like none of the gags hit in the trailer and if they're saving the best gags if they're putting the best gags in the trailer I'm, I'm with you I'm, I'm deeply concerned and he's also made Venom in between uh, the Zombieland and Zombieland Double Tap so hey ho like 
I hope people enjoy yeah, it at the cinema. And, <laughs> and also, do you know what's getting under my skin? And I just need to confess it now. The title, Zombieland Double Tap. Because that's like a social media reference. But then is it also like a kind of low-key sex reference? No, Double, double Tap is two shots to the head, isn't it? It's like a hitman. Thing oh, but yeah, but it's two... also it's also double tapping on Instagram. That that's what that is it? connects with. Yeah, of course it is. Wow. I mean, to be honest, I've kids, only just kids listening to this. You I've know. only just started using my personal Instagram account in the last six months, um, as you know, because you you followed me later than a lot of other people, Pete. <laughs> I'm I'm just cool like that. Yeah, because you, know? you were just like he never uses it. He doesn't have it. So uh, maybe that is it. In, in which case, yeah, very clever. Well done. Uh. <laughs> yeah, irritating, yeah. fucking irritating. <laughs> but but we'll see how it goes, and we we may feature it if we think very it's excited worthwhile. for this but, one, Pete. I think. <laughs> but but yeah, we we will see how that all pans out. Now I tell you what, we are excited about Paul. We're excited about something, which is the fact that a little TV program called uh, Breaking Bad that uh, broke into the public consciousness what now ten years ago uh, has resurrected from somewhat the dead uh, to be given a fully two-hour-long feature film called El Camino, which then just went and got tossed out on Netflix for all and sundry to uh, to gobble on within the last week. So after a little break, we will be back with the section of the show in which we feature review something worth our attention and this week it is very much worth our attention to dig into El Camino a Breaking Bad movie right after this Right, so as you mentioned, this is a uh, well, a direct sequel to the events of the TV series Breaking Bad, which people may have heard of, I think perhaps at some point I don't know if anyone's seen it um I was a huge fan of Breaking Bad I'll be honest I thought it was great I had no real issues with the end of with the end of the series at all um so it was with some trepidation when they announced they were they were doing a a, a movie follow-up to the series um Pete set this one up for us obviously if you haven't seen Breaking Bad at this point then stop listening because the spoilers about <laughs> Yeah, it's difficult to yeah. talk about without spoiling. Well, no, a we will just we'll about... just spoil it. Like, there, there's yeah, the warning. The, we the we can't talk about that. the setup for El Camino without spoiling the end of Breaking Bad. So, Pete, go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's true. Um, and we should say as well, a sequel kind of of sorts, isn't it? Because obviously, the events being as they were, with the sort of uh, rise and then fall of Walter White in the in the series, uh, the AMC series Breaking Bad, uh, led us to a position where we weren't just going to repeat that trick again uh, in this movie. So what we have instead is Jesse Pinkman uh, on the run and hunted from all corners by uh, the gang involved in the events at the end of the series. The guy at the beginning of this movie we find um, dishevelled, panicked. He's grown sort of a, a beard over time, not as but not by choice but by kind of necessity and he's now using that as something of a cover to uh, skulk around in the shadows and try and find himself a safe haven the safe haven that he comes to is uh, occupied by uh, old friends skinny pete and badger who are <laughs> unreliable at the best of times but are going to try and have his back and try and help him on his way to a uh, well somewhat brighter future or at least some sort of survival in the world that's now turned its back on him. Um, yes, before we get into our thoughts on El Camino, here's a little clip. 
I don't know what to tell you why he said like 500 times already. I have no idea where he is. Don't know where he's headed either. North, south, west, east, Mexico, the moon. I don't have a clue. But yo, even if I did, who wouldn't tell you? Cause I've been watching the news same as everybody else. I seen that little cage of his they kept him in. I heard about what all they did to him to make sure he kept cooking. So sorry. I don't know what to tell you. No way I'm helping you people put Jesse Pinkman back inside a cage. So yeah, Skinny Pete and Badger, I think the, the more I think about it, the more it kind of it evokes mine and your relationship, Pete, if I'm honest. <laughs> I'm not as skinny as I used to be, though, I reckon. <laughs> My wife feeds me too much cake, so uh, I'm losing Fair that enough. moniker. And I know nothing about Badger, so do you know what? I'll take it, I'll take it all back. I'll take it all back. So um, yeah, as, as you mentioned, Pete, this, this follows direct, directly on from the end of Breaking Bad, as in picks up immediately afterwards. Um, yeah, and as I said, going going back to what I said before, I was just like, okay, well, for me, the TV show I think ended is one of the better endings of a TV show that I've experienced. In all honesty, I, I like the end of it, so I was a little bit nervous. Ultimately, everything's a cash in, so let's just just get that out of the way. Obviously, everything's a cash in; it's made to make money. Um, for mo- for the most part, though, I thought this was pretty successful. I'll be honest; I I, I liked a lot of what this did. Um, I thought it was it was nice to see it was nice to see Aaron Paul back again. I think I, I don't frustrates me with Aaron Paul because it just it feels like it feels like the only reason he hasn't gotten further in his career is because he's not physically imposing enough or at all or at all leading man in terms of his physical appearance. Because I think Breaking I think I've I I would say with Breaking Bad it's one of my favorite TV shows for watching an actor just get better and better and better as the series went on and I think like he started out kind of playing to type as just the like the Jesse character is just this annoying kind of teenage drug dealer character and then just got better and better and better so it was nice to see it back um it's like great that Vince Gilligan um had direct control over this and wrote and directed it which was great um where I'll start with the fact is I think it looked incredible I think it was it was fantastically shot from start to finish I think the film I think the film looked great um the tv series looked great and this looked arguably even better I think any thoughts as a, as a lead um no it's it's a good place to start I think yeah I, there are definitely the markings of I mean Vince Gilligan is obviously back here as a writer director and like we needed that if we hadn't had that this wouldn't exist yeah. but uh yeah certainly you get that breaking bad feel for anybody who's watched the series you're used to uh low camera like camera close to the ground yeah. as cars pull up you're used <laughs> to shots that are reversed uh, a bit like tarantino did from reservoir dogs and way back where you for example if something's being taken out of the boot of the car the camera is seemingly inside the boot of the car looking outwards it's a classic breaking bad shot they use that kind of thing all the time uh, also time lapse uh used yeah, almost to death in breaking bad Film, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and I would say less so than in the series but yeah. because the series is so spread out obviously you have more opportunity for that and it became so so for me intrinsically connected with the way <laughs> that you feel when you're watching that show as sort of time goes by so yeah you've got these key markers there which are so important to put you back in that world and it's been a long time man like I haven't rewatched it since 
a year or so after the first run, mm. I guess. Like, I've rewatched the series once, I think. So it's been a long time since that time. Um, so it was nice to be immediately back in that sort of warm bath of Breaking Bad stuff, even though it is this murky world of sort of desperation and drug dealing and all that kind of thing. Um, and then, as you were saying, uh, I think the Jesse Pinkman character, as portrayed by Aaron Paul, is like really strong and and does a lot to kind of make up for the fact that Brian Cranston is almost entirely not in this movie. Yeah. Um, and that could have been more of a problem if it wasn't for the fact that I think Aaron Paul is so strong. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you on no, that. No, no, yeah, no. And then, I, yeah, I, I kind of want to second that point because my one concern was the fact that, so, okay, the, there is no possible way Walter White can be in this film. He is in flashbacks in this film, just to clarify. And again, we've, we've gone full spoiler territory here. Um, and my concern was, okay, part of what made Breaking Bad work was the chemistry, um, again, no pun intended, between Walter White and Jesse, and the chemistry between Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, and that's that was the, the heart of Breaking Bad, was the chemistry between the two of them, so I had some concerns that if you take uh, Brian Cranston out of this, then then what are we left with? Are we left with anything like Breaking Bad? Is this is this is this going to be a Breaking Bad movie? Um, but it does, absolutely, I'm totally with you, Pete, it, it feels like one, and it's yeah, it's absolutely down to Aaron Paul. Um, I think for me, I think there are. I, I liked. I liked it for the most part, and for me, I think it gave. The more I thought about the end of Breaking Bad, the more I thought, okay, Walter White's got closure. He dies, and I was just like, but for me, did Jesse quite have enough closure at the end of the Breaking Bad series? And having watched this. No, I don't think he did, and I like the fact that this gives the Jesse character some proper closure, and I I really did like that about it. And the more I think about it, a lot of people have said, a lot of reviews have said actually it's not an essential part of the breaking of of Breaking Bad. You can do without it. I personally don't think you can because it's just nice to see Jesse get his closure because Walter White was never getting a redemption. Was never going. His only redemption was dying because his character had been such an asshole, and the, the the whole point of the show was breaking. It was called Breaking Bad, so his turn. He needed to die at the end of the series. Jesse was a very different character. Jesse deserved redemption, and I don't think at the end of Breaking Bad he necessarily got it, whereas there were certain things happened here where you're like, okay, right, yes, I needed to see this happen, and I, I, I really I liked what they did with the character. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think that when you, like, I think you said at the, the beginning here, but, like, when you ended that series, you kind of thought, or at least when you found out that there was going to be this feature film, that the worry was like, well, what can you actually do yeah. from the position yeah, that we yeah. were at? And, and so it's a funny one to review in the sense that I feel as though the film was kind of paled in some ways against set against the television series. Yeah. But that having been said, in terms of what you could do, the film did a really good job of fleshing out, like you say, the uh, the um, the sense of sort of resolution of the arc of Jesse Pinkman, uh, the the remaining odds and ends that you had in that world in a way that was, for the most part, pretty satisfying, thrilling at times. This movie uh, manages to sort of ramp back up to something like that tension that we all got so collectively used to with the television series. Um, I think it was a very tall order for this to reach the heady heights of that series. And I'm not sure that Gilligan's even gone in with that with that aspiration, if that makes sense. I think that 
to make something like this, it needs to stand alone. And I feel like, although obviously this is tethered to the story and the story arcs there, it does stand on its own. And I feel like with a little bit of a primer from someone before watching this, you could feasibly watch the movie without having seen the I'm whole not series. So sure. I'm not so sure I agree with you. And but it's not not necessarily a bad thing because I found myself, and I was speaking to, to a guy that I worked with about this, and I found myself... Like, although if you watch it on Netflix, well, well, you have to watch it on Netflix because that's where it is. You get the, there's a Breaking Bad recap, but for me, I kind of there were certain things because it's been so long since I've seen Breaking Bad, and I've seen it twice. Yeah, I've seen it twice through. Um, and for me, I kind of, I just, I think if I'd watched this immediately after the end of Breaking Bad, I think I would have probably rated it higher than I have rated it because there were so many little things. Like when I'm just like, mm. oh, where does this come from? Where does this come from? And then, and then like, and it was just like, so the bit there's there's a moment where the character Skinny Pete hands his hat over to Jesse, and like, and you just, how, why is that relevant? And then if you remember back, if the TV series is fresh in your mind, it's because you never see this character of Skinny Pete without his hat off, for example. So that that moment resonates more. For me, this didn't feel like a standalone film. For me, it felt like a feature length episode to finish the Breaking Bad story. Yeah, I mean that that the way you put that I think is right. Like it, it, and it's something that I've heard elsewhere too and I think it's accurate that maybe yeah, maybe I'm wrong in saying a standalone movie uh and maybe that's not quite the right characterization of it because it very much feels like yeah, like a bumper episode, mm. like a double episode of the series. I suppose what I was getting at is just that it has thriller chops enough yeah, this movie yeah, as sure. a as its own product that like uh, okay maybe maybe to reframe it like if someone walks into the room when you're watching this with no previous knowledge of the series although they're going to be a little bit lost in terms of character and and setting and motivation there's going to be enough here to sort of hook them into the drama in and of itself of this thing maybe and i think that's testament to how well this thing is pulled off um and maybe my my point is a bit convoluted but i I found it hard having seen it like because coming out of the el camino movie um i sort of was split between like a slight disappointment that it wasn't more Mm. and then and also like a realization that it was never gonna be no and so what i got was actually really great i'm I'm totally with you because i think when i said it's in my letterbox review i was like it ends with more of a whimper than a bang um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, and I think maybe I went into it it's expecting it to be this like, like big, big. Okay, Breaking Bad's got a movie now, so everything's going big, and I think that maybe what the expectation was for a lot of people going into it, and what we got, as I mentioned earlier, for me, and as you've just alluded to, is a bumper double episode that finishes off the story. So I think I was expecting a big standalone film. Um, and what we got was a bumper episode that finishes the story. The more I think about it, the more I think about it now, the more I like that that's what we got, if you, you see where I'm coming from. Mm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm massively on board with it. I just had a, a side issue that I think is worth like, asking about here on the show, which is that do you think about like the arcs of not uh, Jesse and Walt, but Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, in the sense that 
I feel that since this, like you were saying, you wish that if maybe if he was given the dues that he deserves, he would get more roles, better roles, bigger Rather roles. Because speed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because since the Breaking Bad uh, series back in, you know, what, 2008, 9, 10 or whatever, uh, if, or since that point to now, Brian Cranston has become a fairly well-established sort of mid to upper mid-level Hollywood actor. Um, and obviously he'd done a ton of stuff before and he had a bigger resume by miles than Aaron Paul coming yeah. in. But then like since the series was so successful, Aaron Paul has done very little that I think is like worthy of maybe what you might expect from someone who broke up so big. And I just wonder, like, why do you think that is other than the thing about stature? Do you think it's uh, like. I don't know, people not wanting to take a risk on him. Do you think it's the influence of playing a character like Jesse Pinkman for so long that makes people typecast him as a sort of either slightly idiotic guy or sort of slightly desperate guy and those are the only roles that he can go for? I mean, one that I saw that I thought was decent is when he plays an alcoholic uh, in a sort of codependent relationship called Smashed from like just after Breaking Bad okay, Finish. Okay. I like that. I've not seen but then in here we've got like central intelligence and we've got uh uh the ninth life of louis drax which was not good and yeah like a load of stuff where you think why not more uh, i think we lost the call for a second so we i was just saying like call, yeah. why yeah what why hasn't aaron paul done more other than the point you made about stature like do you think there's one thing else you can put your finger on with that uh i, I just, yeah as much as i hate no to be honest i just think it's in terms of I think he's of a certain age where there are better looking leading men out there and I, I, I don't wish to I don't I hope Hollywood isn't the shallow but I've got that I've got a feeling that it is and I think he's an incredibly fancy guy but yeah you do risk when you play a character like Jesse being typecast as Jesse forever that being said though he is incredible in BoJack Horseman yeah right yeah right but then he yeah in Bojack Horseman, yeah. as a voice, yeah, Bojack as a voice, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's that's the thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's not to belittle that work because it's amazing, no. but like, yeah, the, the whole face physicality, yeah, thing yeah. Is and to I just, one, I, I, wish, I wish I didn't think that of Hollywood, but I'm, I'm sorry, I do. <laughs> but but I suppose I suppose that in my mind as well, there's this idea that he's caught between two stools in the sense that. Uh, he's maybe, like you said, like not got the stature or the face or whatever to be sort of Hollywood leading man. But then on the other hand, he's become too high profile to be a uh, character actor. Yeah. Because because what he could be is this really great side player in a load of other movies or like a kind of quote unquote leading man in sort of indie uh, lower budget yeah. stuff like Smash that I mentioned before, you know, and, and maybe he's just got a bit too big for that stuff. Or, so. or he's just gone, fuck it. I've made enough money out of Breaking Bad. I never need to work again. True story. <laughs> like, yeah. That could be the case. He in rides off case, into the sunset. Case, fair play to him. <laughs> or the f my my even more academic idea <laughs> is that you can't trust anybody who's got two first names. So could also be that. Uh, who knows? But like, I think we're summing up by saying that El Camino is definitely well. If you're a fan of Breaking Bad, like you've got to watch this, right? Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. And I think. I think the, the more I think about it since I've watched it, the more I've warmed to it. And I genuinely think if you watch it, if you if you watch it right next to... Basically, if you consider this the final episode of Breaking Bad and watch it in a run with Breaking Bad, I think it would improve for me even more than I've already liked it. I genuinely think that. Yeah. 
Now, Paul, this is about the time where we segue seamlessly into doing a top five tie-in with the feature from this week. It's increasingly prolific on our ends in terms of this particular content. So we will be back after a little break with this week's top five, which is movies based on TV shows right after this. I'm super excited for this top five, to be honest, because I have not... So there's sometimes when you do top fives, I'm just like, I'm, I've, I've got an idea of what Pete might pick. I, I, I think I've nailed it. And then sometimes you surprise me, sometimes you don't. Uh, in, in in a good way and a bad way at times, I'll be honest. But this time around, I have no fucking clue what is going to be on your list, Pete. And to be honest, I don't think you have any idea what's going to be on mine. So I'm quite excited about this one. <laughs> So. Yeah, no, it's fair. It's fair to say, like when we we sort of changed directions a bit on this week's top five, and when I got the new one, I was like, "Yeah, this is terrifying. I'm not sure I can think of anything." And then I did a bit of a search, and I realised, yeah, there are a lot of things to pick from that fall into this this particular category. So I think I've pulled something together that I'm relatively happy with, but we'll see. Do you want to go first or second on this uh, one? I'll dive in. I'll dive in first. I'll dive in first. Uh, so at number five. Uh, in top five films based on TV shows, uh, South Park the movie for me comes in at number five, uh, directed by Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Um, South Park, I love South Park with the force of a thousand suns. It's just such nonsense, but I love it. And I think where they went with South Park the movie was just even further into absolute farce. And I think they absolutely nailed it for me. I mean, Satan, Satan, uh, in uh, Satan in a relationship with Saddam Hussein. That's I think that's pretty much all you need to <laughs> all you need to know, really. Um, the Terence and Philip moments. They just they just they basically they just doubled down. They went right. You've given us you've given us a budget to make a film out of a re- already ridiculous TV show, and we are going to make this absolutely fucking ridiculous. And I love South Park the movie, and it's been too long since I've last seen it but it stays with me and I think it's great. So my number five is South Park the movie. Nice. Yeah, I, I'm glad you put it in your list because I didn't put it in mine, but it's kind of a toss of a coin for, for why I didn't. I don't know how much you can justify it by leaving it off because it is so great. And and I'm a huge fan of the series and therefore as an extension of that, like a huge fan of the film. So yeah, good one. So if you can give me puerile animation dragged out to two hours and made into a movie, Paul, I can come straight back with my number five, which is uh, Aquatine Hunger Force, colon, movie film for theatres from 2007. Are you familiar with the Aquatine Hunger Force? I have never seen Aquatine Hunger Force, I'll be honest. I've heard lots of things about it, but I've not seen it. Okay, Aquatine Hunger Force, particularly what I'm talking about today, uh, colon, which is spelt C-O-L-O-N, ha-ha, in the title of this movie, uh, movie film for theatres, is, on the one hand, uh, puerile, very stupid, too long, at times a little bit boring, at times sort of offensive and not in a good way, um... And on the other hand, this is a movie that opens up with a uh, purpose uh, uh, or tailor-made heavy metal track played by an assortment of fast foods uh, and then turns what is already a ludicrous series about a milkshake that's friends with a wad of meat and a man made out of uh, French fries and takes them on this like epic journey that's always like winking at the camera because they know that there is no reason or justification for allowing these people to make a feature film. Uh, you may or may not have to um, 
imbibe certain substances to get the best out of what the Aquatine Hunger it Force like people it. have to offer. Uh, there are just characters in Aquatine Hunger Force that, you know, like... I don't know if you know. I'll ask if you know. You know when you're feeling, like, really, really down and, like, you could watch pretty good comedy and have no reaction right, okay. <laughs> but if you like we were talking about chris morris before like if you watch certain like old chris morris stuff yeah. for example it can cut through however you're feeling and just make you laugh out loud there are little gems in aquatine hunger force little characters that i find instantly funny they don't even need to really say or do anything and often they're side characters they're not even like their main yeah. crew uh there are like a pair of uh sneering space aliens who are sort of they look like badly cut out pieces of paper <laughs> and um and i love them dearly so that's why i had to get this on there just to give a shout out to a show that i think um is is going to be you know fairly quickly forgotten by a lot of people but is worth your time it's an adult swim show it's one of those sort of edgier cartoons that came before the likes of i guess uh, bojack horseman and loads of stuff that people love now so uh yeah aquatine hunger force curl movie film for theatres from 2007 is my number five <laughs> what have you got a number four Paul? a number four uh i've got naked gun uh, directed by David Zucker, which is based on a TV show called Police Squad. Um, uh, Leslie Nielsen, the Naked Gun. Um, need I say much more than that? Just again, much like South. I mean, so South. I mean, South Park's silly. Naked Gun is the very definition of silly. And there is few sillier films than the Naked Gun movies. And there's, there's just honestly, I still giggle at them in the same way that I giggled them was when I was a twelve-year-old boy. I mean, Leslie Nielsen playing straight in a comedy role is genius. He's brilliant in them. Um, I mean, to be fair, I can probably lump all three into all three into one. They can come one, two, and three because they're all just nonsense, absolute nonsense. The very definition of all. I would say they almost reduce me to tears of laughter every time I watch them because they're so silly. So silly. Pete, any thoughts on Naked Gun? Uh, yeah, I love it. I, I think that <laughs> early on in this list, we, we're establishing there's sort of a pattern here, which is maybe that you might have come at this from the angle of like, uh, TV shows secondary, the final movie primary, like maybe, great movies yeah, yeah. primary, yeah. which is actually quite sensible for a movie podcast. <laughs> I think what I've done is I've gone like, TV show I really love. Yeah. End result was not bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> Therefore, it ma it makes my list. So yeah, uh, I'm going to take a bit of a left turn then here because we've gone kind of comedy, comedy, comedy on our three yeah. picks between us so far. Uh, this one definitely not a comedy, but definitely falling into the category TV show I love that made an okay movie. Uh, Homicide the movie, which really should be called, of course, Homicide Life on the Street movie or the movie uh this is the one that was the thing that david simon made before he made the wire and that i like to bang on about to everybody because it's really great it's the baltimore homicide division rather than uh, narcotics division that's in in the wire um this movie is not as good as the tv series <laughs> but it is worthwhile anyhow i would recommend though first that you watch all all the series of the the television program but in this thing you have uh ned b 
ott that you'll know from deliverance and elsewhere uh daniel baldwin is in this an actor who never got the due that he deserved in andre brower is is front and center here as frank pembleton who is this really interesting character across the series and into the film a guy who's uh, a detective who's sort of um troubled constantly by his loss and then regaining of uh, religious faith um there's a lot going on with him which is, is worth sort of digging into it as well uh richard belzer's in this thing the guy who famously got choked out by hulk hogan and used the the money from the lawsuit to buy himself a holiday home um yeah the the, the series is great like i say the movie is good oh and a breaking bad connection giancarlo esposito's in oh, wow, um, okay. homicide uh, who of course was called what Gus in breaking Fring. bad Gus, thank you, yeah. Um, so yeah, Homicide's great. I won't stop talking about it for many a year. Uh, the movie came out in 2000 for what's it's, what it's worth, but that was after a bunch of series. So it's like a 90s production. It looks a bit dated, but it's really, really good stuff. That's my number four, Homicide, the movie from 2000. Uh, my number three is Serenity, directed by Joss Whedon, which was the uh, well, movie spin-off, close, I would say more closing chapter to the incredible incredible sci-fi series Firefly which is one of my favourite series of all time uh, and introduced me to one of my favourite men in the world which is Nathan Fillion uh, who I've met and he signed a Serenity Blu-ray by the way uh, just to drop that in just to drop that into conversation yeah and I think just this film is it's great it got it allowed Joss Whedon to kind of finish the story although you could argue that certain elements of the film are kind of rehashed um, elements from the final episode of the TV series but I was unlucky enough, and I'll be honest, it would be very easy to claim that I watched the the TV show first and the film afterwards. I didn't. I watched the film first before I, before I was put in touch with Firefly, and don't do it that way around. But yeah, it's it's an, it's just, it was an absolutely really pleasant surprise hit of the year for me. Like, it looks great. The cast are incredible, um, and it's a cracking sci-fi film in its own right, and actually... We were talking earlier about El Camino not stand alone. You could quite happily watch Serenity without watching Firefly and still have a great time with it because it's just a very charming, very well put together and very zippy, well-written space opera. So yeah, my number three is Joss Whedon's Serenity. Nice. I, I've got to be completely honest. I haven't seen oh. it, but it's one of those It's one of those where I sort of feel like I should because you should it watch gets the TV so much series first, for sure. Right, and that's but that, then I think that that speaks to why I haven't, yeah. because it feels yeah. like a lot of a commitment. It's you twelve know, episodes. Uh, it's a bit it's like only twelve episodes, so you're right. You're all right. It's not too much. Yeah, I, I think it's good. It's really good. I think there are something like five or six seasons of Homicide: Life on the Street, and I'm expecting everybody to yeah. watch those. So yeah, I probably <laughs> should watch watch this uh, limited run of episodes. Uh, okay, so where am I up to now? Number three, I guess. Right? Yeah, my number three. Uh, number three for me is uh, the Simpsons movie from 2007 the reason this made my list is not because it's like an astonishing film that I go back to but again is kind of mm, related to uh, what I was saying about Breaking Bad and El Camino I guess in the sense that when it was announced that there was going to be a Simpsons movie my expectations were pretty low because I thought it's so beloved and it's been at its best a little time ago even before the movie came out right I think it had past its peak by that point Mm. and so I worried that what they were going to come up with as a movie was going to be more crowd pleasy and uh, broad and uh, less interesting and disappointing and it was all break my heart a little bit Uh, I don't think it's a a, like phenomenal movie but at the same time I do think it's a very good film and I think that a lot of the material lands and I think the way that it's crafted as a movie length plot actually is 
pretty impressive. This thing runs an hour and 27 minutes, whereas an episode is, what, 27 minutes? It's like three episodes back to back, something like that or more. Uh, And the way that it keeps its momentum going, I think, is to its credit. And I I enjoyed it. Maybe if I went back to it, I'd realise that I've overpraised the Simpsons movie. I don't know. Like, have you... You've seen this, I've never seen it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know how it passed me by. But no, I've never never seen it um mm. which yeah. you should yeah no i absolutely yeah, should because i think the, the simpsons at its peak was incredible television like incredible yeah. television so yeah i'll check it out yeah i don't know i don't that, know how it's passed me by to be honest it's bizarre it's just one of those gaps <laughs> that's one of those you know that i was saying like laughs that cut through however you're feeling uh the chili cook-off episode where uh one of the guys from the factory turns to the other one <laughs> when homer's walking over the horizon and says look at that spoon they say he carved it himself <laughs> from a bigger spoon which is like my <laughs> one of my favorite lines in the whole thing ever uh I, I should say at the end of this as well i'm like was doubting myself like have i overpraised it the meta score which i hadn't seen until just a second ago is 80 on the simpsons okay. movie the so obviously i'm not the only one who thought they did yeah. a bang up job with it so yeah that's my number three the simpsons movie from 2007 what's number two for you Paul? uh star trek 2 the colon the wrath of khan like just a fucking brilliant film like it's based on well, it's obviously it's based on star trek it's 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 kind of a sequel to an episode um an episode of the original series obviously um and it has everything about it just works and after the disappointment of star trek the motion picture which is i maintain if we did a top five list of boring films i think star trek the motion picture might be number one for me on that list um yeah it's just incredible it's incredibly tense like the fact you've got richard mountbatten as khan who's an incredible villain the fact that william shatner and richard mountbatten don't actually share any screen time makes this all the more effective as just it it may well be it may well be a star trek film but it's such a thrilling star trek film it's so well put together um and it's just it's star trek it's absolute peak it's it's absolutely fantastic if you haven't seen it then just go out and find star trek 2 wrath of khan it's incredible like it's yeah it's it's the best star trek film uh for sure and and i'm not going to shock you by saying never seen it Oh, we, we, should, we used to do a section homework. on the show called yeah, yeah. Homework. Right, right. Yeah, we should bring it back. No, we're starting that section this week, here and now. I'm going to watch the Simpsons movie. You're going to watch Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan. There we go. Homework's I, I back. Feel, no, but I feel like my, yours is like a really general one. Mine's a bit more of a niche one. I think you should watch uh, all of the series of Homicide Life on the Street <laughs> and then the feature film. No, I, I, I'm happy that. with that, Chet. That, that, that deal Homework is, is back. That's what we've, we've done it. Homework's back. <laughs> Well, um, I should before we get there, I should get to the next. So I've got my number two now, right? Yeah, so this was an easy one to put on the list. Uh, it should be on many a list. It is from 2009. It's directed by Armando Iannucci, and it is In the Loop. Because, of course, In the Loop is a feature film that sprang from uh, the thick of it, the series that was I'm so glad this by- is on your list, because I really feel bad about forgetting this <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely happens like i i really fought against putting firewalk with me on this list because i just thought i'll blather on about david yeah. lynch a bunch so i've left it off but yeah i, I i'm gonna blather on about armando inucci instead uh, so this is a movie that really perfectly sums up when a film based on a tv series works because all you've done here is taken all of the great stuff about the thick of it transplanted it to this setting which makes it funnier because you've got British people in America which is often inherently 
funny. And then you've taken key cast members from the series and put them in these situations. And chief among that, of course, is uh, Peter Capaldi playing Malcolm Tucker, who's just like effing and Jeff and his way around the situation and slapping people into shape uh, for what they need to do here. The, the groups of politicians from both the American side and the British side are trying to sort of collaborate to stop uh, countries going to war. It's very, it's very serious issues dealt with in a ridiculous and comedic way, in a way that few people, uh, chief amongst them Armando Iannucci and Chris Morris, uh, yeah, uh, my review of his latest yeah. film notwithstanding, uh, are capable of. Uh, you've got Chris Addison as well, who's so great in the series, who's involved in this one. Anna, Anna Chlumsky is yeah, her name, the, the right? Girl uh, the, girl who, the Girl from My Girl. The Girl from My Girl, right, who, who pops up here and is, is actually really good as well um, and gets involved with Chris Addison in this thing. Yeah, I loved it, man. It was uh, the... The series was a kind of a series that was a little bit obsessive about. And then when this came to be a feature film, again, I had a bit of trepidation because they're going to fuck it up or like he's going to be compromised in some way in terms of his creative vision. Absolutely not. It's brilliant. And thinking about this uh, reminds me that I need to rewatch this and The Death of Stalin as well. So uh, that's good. Uh, Yeah, my number two is In The Loop, which was released in 2009. My number one. I'm so excited that you know when this I suggested this top five and I was just like right because I know what my numbers and one's going to be from the moment we suggested it and it means I can actually put this film in the number one of a top five list. I'm going to do I'm going to do a quote from it, Pete. Here I'm going to say to you, listeners at home, that I've got better things to do tonight than die, and also all we need now is a little energon and a lot of luck. And then I'm going to go, one shall stand, one shall fall. And I'm going to tell you what my number one is, Pete. It's Transformers, the animated movie. <laughs> like, of course it is. <laughs> if of course there is it is. ever a film. You know you were talking about these films that you can always put on and it just brings you absolute joy? Transformers, the animated movie, is that for me. Like... The TV show, I did. I have rewatched the TV show. It's a bag of shit. The animated series, I'll be honest, it's it's poorly animated. It's rubbish. The stories make no sense. It's pretty poor. The movie, however, there's something about this movie that just is. I mean, the soundtrack is incredible. You've got a Stan Bush, uh, Stan Bush led songs. Vince DiColo did the Rocky soundtrack. Has worked on this as well. The soundtrack's incredible. The film, I remember. If I remember rightly, I watched this with my sister. You can count. I think 15 seconds is the longest between uh, robot fight scenes in this film. That's the longest you have to wait for some robot on robot action. So, uh, yeah, like I love, I just, I just love everything about this film. It's so 80s. It's Orson Welles' final performance, uh, which is, which is absolutely bonkers when you think about what Orson Welles has achieved. Um, I'd, arguably he's made better films than, than Transformers but I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that um, yeah it just it has an absolute fondness in my heart I think it's just one of the films that as a kid that I just watched on the, literally wore out the VHS because I watched it so much um, you've got Eric Idle in this you've got Judd Nelson you've got Leonard Nimoy as Galvatron um, it's just incredible and Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime like it's just every time every time I watch it I feel like eight-year-old Paul again, and there's a lot to be said for that. I just, I cannot, I mean, I could pick apart, I could pick many holes in the plotting of the film and many holes in the quality of the film as a whole, but in terms of, I would say, it's up there with kind of, it's up there with E.T. or Jurassic Park for me in terms of like just a nostalgia watch, and I absolutely love Transformers, the animated movie. It's just bonkers, and I love it. It's my number one. Be honest, man. 
what you did in our chat is we were thinking about what are the top five going to be and then you wrote from nowhere you were like well how about how about tv shows turned into movies because that ties in with al camino and i'm like oh that's really clever but what you've actually done is you've backwards engineered this situation where you've made a little shortlist like lists that could be topped by the transformers animated movie and you've come up with like two or three of those you're like i'm gonna drop one of those in at some point and it's come it's come the day has because the other the other top five would have been animated films about transformers but i I think that would have been probably weighted in its favor but <laughs> yeah or until we decide that we're going to do what was it that movies that bring you pure nostalgic childhood joy <laughs> top five or whatever yeah. then it could have yeah. been there yeah. um so i have uh well it's got a lot to live up to then because i'm not sure that this brings me the level <laughs> of joy to say as, as that one did for you but uh wow it's a, it's a difficult task isn't it paul to top what you've just said it's a, it's a there was a lot of passion in almost... there was a lot of passion in my number one there i'll be honest so yeah yeah well, well, yeah, I, I was going to say, like, it's difficult to top. It's a mission that's almost impossible. Oh. Uh, mission impossible oh, is my number one. And, and, and I'm picking all of them. <laughs> all of the movies. Except no, I, two. I'm kind of selectively picking them. Yeah, I'm, I'm picking one because really good and it's sort of too clever for its own good and almost like brain achingly complicated when it probably didn't need mm. to be then skipping out too because it's pretty shit although the uh metallica tie-in song for about five minutes i liked when i was that age but not anymore it's not <laughs> that good um then skipping along to three i like the bit where he says i'm gonna die unless you kill me first yeah. and the fact that philip seymour hoffman is really great, as a villain, greasy yeah, bad yeah. guy in it uh, and then on to the like more latter day films uh really great all the way up to and including uh the last one which was called what ghost protocol no, it was for mission possible fallout was the last one fallout which was, sorry which yeah, was mixed absolutely up, off the hook <laughs> yeah i was gonna say it feels like it, it kind of built to a crescendo yeah. with the with the last movie and we're not done are we i think there's yeah, gonna there's be, gonna be they're, one, they're filming two more back to back and the rumor right. is tom cruise is going to be in space at some point which i firmly believe at this point to be honest <laughs> Do you know? Do you know that bit in um, Midsummer where the woman goes onto the mountain and then just spreads her arms yeah. and then just falls forward onto her own <laughs> skull? Cruise. Don't you think cru- the cruiser's just going to end one of his Mission Impossibles by being like, "I am going to do a stunt that is greater than any stunt anyone's done," knowing full well that he dies at the end of the stunt? But he's like, "Get it in the movie, get it in the movie." Yeah, and and you know, good on him for that. Uh, yeah, Mission Impossible is one of those things where like I kind of went a bit off it you know, during the, the, the troubled times of Mission Impossible 2, came back round to it because 3 was so silly. And then when these new ones were sort of rolled out, I, I was a bit tentative about jumping on board thinking that, you know, they're going to be bloated and they're kind of over-milking this particular cash cow. But he's proved me wrong because they are absolute pinnacle action movies at this point yeah. in time. So you've got to be thankful for the guy's commitment to the cause because he could have left this franchise alone and kept making silly buddy things with like uh Cameron Diaz or whatever you know where he's just slotting in different unrealistic love yeah. interests in each of the movies but uh we still get say, that, he's still sure. doing that to but, be fair but yeah yeah he abso- absolutely does that but uh yeah we we get some great action out of it so yeah Mission Impossible is my number one and I guess if I'm gonna pick I'll pick the movie in 1996 that started it all off but yeah all of them really oh, good shout good shout 
Well, that, that just about brings us to the end of our recording today, which is at 20 minutes past midnight. So we probably better get off to uh, to sleep because we've got lives yeah, to lead. And uh, jobs, jobs tomorrow. to be done. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I'm glad that we hammered this one out. I hope people have enjoyed the top five and, of course, the El Camino content and the rest of the show. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, the best place to do so is at Strangers Cinema on the Twitter platform. Uh, we've also obviously got an Instagram. We've got a Facebook. Check those out. They're always... Um, up and running and, and growing and so forth uh, there's an email at, str- at the, the email is strangersinacinema at gmail.com um, anything else Paul apart from those contact details uh, no it's been I, 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 as far as I'm concerned I've finally got Transformers the Animated Movie at number one in the top five so I've had the, probably it's probably my favourite show of all time <laughs> <laughs> nice nice that's going to be my description when I upload this thing Paul's favourite show of all times <laughs> Hashtag Transformers at number one. Uh, Cool. All right. Well, on that note, we will be back for next week's show in about one week's worth of days. And until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Shut up and sit down.